When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Now, let me introduce the illustrious three-man booth. I am Marcus the Game Changer, your host. And to my right, I have my man, D. Wills. Holla at the people. Feeling good, man. Good to be here with you tonight. Uh, I'm excited. This is going to be another uh, uh, great show uh, in the in the making. Uh, we're probably going to go into some extended time tonight because uh, we got so much to cover uh, tonight, and I, I'm I'm excited. And like you said, we're we're trying to push it to the next level. Uh, but this is going to be a great show tonight. Yes, sir, it is, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to give you an extra 30 minutes tonight, so we're going to go a full two hours on this edition of The Real Sports Guys. But before we get into everything we got going, we got in store for you all, let me bring in the last member, the illustrious three-man booth, Phil T. Sports, PhD. What's happening, Captain? Hey, Mark, Devon, happy April to you. Happy April Fool's Day. I, uh, I'm, I'm working myself back into shape. I'm on a minute restriction tonight. Okay, coming off the DL. <laughs> you know, I'm coming off the DL. I'm shaking off some rust, so uh, so bear with me. Yeah, we're going to have to monitor his minutes. That's <laughs> he's, right. he's out here like, oh. He's out here like, oh. <laughs> coming back from an eighth knee surgery. You can't play the back to back anymore. In the house. No, it's no back to back. No back to back. Wow. So let's get into it, fellas. Listeners out there, Renegade family, this portion of the show is called the intro to let you know so we give you a quick rundown of all the things we have in store to, for you tonight. Uh, we got some special guests coming in. All guests and hosts are coming in via the Frederick Accounting Gateway. Frederick Accounting, a national accounting service where clients never fear April 15th. Contact Steve Morehouse and the good folks at Frederick Accounting to address your business or personal accounting needs. Frederick Accounting the official accountant for RSG, and tell them the real sports guy sent you. So we have several guests lined up. Um, one, we have Steve Morehouse coming in from Frederick County. He'll be joining us in a moment. We have Dr. Alan Sack coming in. Uh, Alan is like, you know, he's like a, a official RSG family member. You know, he, he's the Capadonna, the, uh, right. the inspector deck of the RSG Wu-Tang <laughs> style family. Um, so he's going to be coming in. Um, Northwestern football athletes have completely, completely obliterated the college uh, sports landscape by being allowed by judges' decisions to now unionize. Allen is going to break that down. That's his area of expertise. Um, we're going to toss the football around, toss the rock around, and really dig into this topic with Dr. Allen Sack, who will be joining us later on. Um, we're also going to talk about the Final Four. Uh, maybe we get into the NBA playoffs. we got a lot going on. We're going to see how much ground we cover. When, when Allen comes in, you kind of got to clear out. You get, It's like AI. <laughs> it's like Iris. <laughs> you know, this guy is so skilled. He knows his stuff. you got to give him the ball, and you got to clear out and just let him do his thing. So we got a whole lot going on. I'm going to pass it to my man, D. Wills, and he's going to get us rolling. Well, you know, as uh, uh, Game Changer said, you know, we're trying to uh, pick it up and uh, develop partnerships as we uh, expand uh, the RSG brand. And uh, I have a special guest tonight. In some ways, he's been a, a mentor as I've been trying to work through this process. 
um, and is uh, one of our sponsors uh, for tonight, uh, coming in uh, over the Frederick County uh, uh, Gateway. Uh, Steve Morehouse is here with us tonight. How you doing, Steve? Good. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. And Steve, uh, how you doing, Devon? Uh, oh, good. Great, great. Great to have you here. Well, first of all, you know, I want to thank you, you for just the support uh, that you provided along this journey for me and in the way that you kind of work with me personally. So I want to thank you first uh, and foremost for that. Well, no problem. You guys sound great tonight. Well, you, you yeah. know, we try, we, try to, we try to make it work for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I did want to make sure that I always share with having a, a sponsor on, um, you know, you're a national accounting service, and uh, one of the things I always want to make sure that um, uh, I, I share with folks to let people know where they can, they can find you. So how can people, uh, listeners, find you? Uh, wherever they are in the country. You can just call us at 608-362-8112, or you can go onto the website of frederickaccounting.com. Uh, I want to thank you. I know you're a Badger fan uh, and uh, excited. How do you feel about Bucky uh, going to the Final Four here? That was an amazing game last on Saturday night. It was just an incredible game. Uh, I thought both teams really did well. The defense was great, but that is really an awesome uh, to feet uh, to be going to the Final Four with so much talent out there in the college game today. Well, I, I know there's a lot of energy, and I, I'm feeling I was getting text messages big time once they uh, uh, once that clock struck the uh, zeros, um, and I, there's a lot of energy. I was uh, up in Madison today, and uh, we're feeling really good. It's tax season, and I know I owe you some stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. so we, we'll talk about that off off off, off air. Um, <laughs> But but um, as people are getting ready, what is what are a couple of things that folks should be thinking about um, uh, when preparing for tax season as they're they're getting uh, near the end? What are some new things that are that they should be thinking about as they're preparing their taxes? Well, one thing that that I think people should think about now is that if you can extend your tax return due date from uh, April fifteenth till October fifteenth, but the really important thing about that, you cannot ex- extend your payment date till October 15th. You still have to pay what you owe on April 15th. And a lot of people think if they extend their return, they can extend the, pay- the date that they have to make their payments, and it's not true. Uh, and if you do owe money and you do extend your return and you end up paying in October, you're going to pay penalties. So that's an important thing to understand when you're thinking yeah. about that. So, 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 so know, know, know very much about, uh, 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 about how you handle extensions and, and, and when they are preparing taxes or, you know, how can people make their job easier when they're, they're trying to come in to work with you? Oh, just make sure they have all your documentation with you, uh, everything that you've gotten during the year from, uh, you know, nine times out of ten they're going to say tax documents on it. Just save all those things and, do, and usually just put them all into a big envelope. They don't have to get too crazy writing everything out. Just put it in an envelope. We know what we're looking for. We just pull it out and we can just enter it right in. Well, we're here with uh, Steve Morehouse uh, with uh, Frederick County. Um, you can uh, two ways to get to him. You can you can get to him by going to realsports.com and clicking on the Frederick County uh, uh, icon. And it'll take you right to their website. You can also go to frederickcounty.com uh, to and it's accounting. It's Frederick's F R E D E R I C K A C C T G dot com. Um, make sure you do that. Steve, we want to thank you for um, 
supporting us um, and uh, sponsoring uh, the uh, the gateway, um, and we look forward to to building on this partnership. Okay, well, great. Again, it sounds like you guys got a lot more important things to talk about than taxes right now. Well, hey, but we, you know, we don't get our taxes straight. We're not going to be in business, so we don't keep working on that. <laughs> okay, but thanks right, for having well, thank me on. I appreciate it. All right, have a good evening. Take care. All right, that's Steve Morehouse with Frederick Accounting, uh, sponsor of the Frederick Accounting. Gateway, all callers will be on the Frederick County Gateway hotline. Please, please call Frederick County um, uh, to uh, make that connection. And uh, just let them know that the Real Sports Guys um, uh, uh, sent you, and uh, he'll have a special uh, uh, discount if you say that you are, uh, you've been referred to him by the Real Sports Guy. he got a little special discount that he'll be uh, 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 providing to those people who come from the show. I'm going to give it back to you, Game Changer. All right, back in the house. Back in the house and ready to rock. Uh, yeah, shout out to my man, Steve Morehouse, Fredericks County. Again, all guests will appear on the Fredericks County Gateway for tonight's show and all shows going forward. You know, it's another little feather in the RSG cap, another branch to the RSG family tree. Uh, we're branching out. We're growing bigger. Pretty soon we're going to be blocking out the sun, y'all. Um, but that's how it goes down. We're making moves in 2014, <laughs> trying to grow the brand, trying to expand try to create uh, the, uh, the, the, the urban sports radio juggernaut that, that D. Wills has, has, has dreamt up. We're trying to make it come to fruition. You know, he, 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 uh, he's like the Chip Kelly uh, of sports radio. He's innovating on the, on the fly, right? That's what <laughs> he's I'm innovating on the fly. I just, I just hope I'm not Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> no, no, we, we don't want to do you like that. <laughs> I just hope I'm not young Deshaun. I don't want to get I want to get I want to get evicted from the house. You know I want to get kicked out of the tree. You know what I'm saying? I want to make sure I stay in good graces with with, with Big Shug. You know. So now we gonna move into uh, the uh, on the rocks funky editorial. Make sure when you're in Rockford, you head on down to on the rocks. Uh, make sure you you catch our man Craig Sockwell and, and tell him that the renegade sent you. He'll get you set up just right. He'll give you a nice little booth. The food there is great. Make sure you check him out on the rocks, Rockford, Illinois. Great place, great food. Check him out. Let's get into this funky editorial real quick, a little something like this. Fellas, only one thing we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. All right, this is this another funky editorial is brought to you by On the Rocks. Uh, fantastic dining establishment, local watering hole in Rockford, Illinois. Make sure you check out our man Craig Sockwell over at On the Rocks. Uh, this is the RSG Renegades, Real Sports Guys, and you're in the midst of the On the Rocks funky editorial. This week, a landmark decision has come down in college athletics. Uh, you have the Northwestern football players who filed to be able to form a labor union early, earlier in this year. Um, a ruling has come down um, by the National Board of Labor and the uh, National Labor Relations Board, rather, um, and they have ruled that the football players at Northwestern are employees of the school and they have a right to form a union. 
This is a revolutionary and uh, a landmark moment um, in the history of college athletics, in the history of sports in general, um, very similar to the first declaration of free agency. Um, this is one of those watershed moments that may change the landscape of college sports as we know it. Um, you know, D. Wills and I, PhD, the RSD brand is built, has, we've built our brand on talking about uh, the inner, interlocking, um, the integration of athletics and academics at the collegiate level, at the high collegiate level, um, where you see elite institutions uh, academically merge with elite athletic programs. Um, and this kind of hit with a ton of bricks. Um, we've tracked this story as it's developed over time. We've given numerous, numerous amounts of opinion on it. It's all documented. Check out the podcast, realsportsguys.com. Make sure you check out the podcast. Go back into the annals, and you'll find all of the perspective that we've offered on this topic. Um, we've covered, uh, you know, we've had Ramogi Huma on. We've had Dr. Alan Sack on. Um, we've had quite a few guests come on and talk about how college athletics um, can better serve its student-athletes. Um, D. Wills, any, how, how did this, uh, this decision hit you? Well, you know, um, you know, like I think you laid it down. This is something we've talked about, and, and for you, you and I have been, you know, uh, along with Phil, been personally invested in this. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, I think we innately um, believe in the value of sports um, and what sports can do to contribute to the greater society. And when you make sports and really integrate with academics and preparation that, you know, you, you can really develop some, some very strong global leaders. So, I mean, that's the framework we start with. So when I saw this, it was, you know, in my mind it was the right mix. You know, it was, uh, it was a, uh, a private institution, a visible private institution uh, with a strong academic framework, but one that also had a reputation for in recent years for being successful, particularly in the football field. Um, and I think it was just the right mix, and uh, only time uh, would tell. It's been it's been very interesting to hear people's reaction and in, in really trying to, you know, kind of um, pin this kind of academics versus labor. Um, but you know, there are other uh, examples of, you know, you, uh, uh, forming unions in higher ed with students. If we look at how graduate student organizations are formed, many of the TAs um, across the country have been in unions for years. So. We've always had this coupling between unionizing and academics in other areas. So in some ways, I think for some people, they think this is a new phenomenon. In fact, it's not. If you look at graduate education, um, uh, this kind of unionizing for benefit of health care and, you know, you were a graduate student and everything, you knew the value of, you know, if you're a TA, having health care and those things. So it's not, it's not, it's not new, but it was um, – it, it, it's, it's, this is really the result of a lot of work from people like Alan and Ramogi Huma and others who have really been um, pushing for, you know, some of, just some of these basic things that we think that student-athletes should have. So, you know, I was, I was shocked um, because normally when you're thinking about um, something like this, um, you, 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 just, you, 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 you think about how big the engine is, the economic engine is, and, um, and, have it come through this this kind of avenue 
around labor and things like that, you know, you're talking about big industry, big business, it was a shock to me. Uh, how, what was your reaction? Um, you know, I was I was extremely surprised. I, I, one, I wasn't expecting a decision so soon. Um, I think yes. this was much sooner than I expected a decision. But, you know, for me, where my reaction lied was in the reaction of others and how little information yes. others have on how this has evolved, um, how just having a greater understanding and context of the student-athlete experience and how it fits and how a judge may come to the conclusion that athletes are employees of a university. I think a lot of folks I talked to just had a real, had a real hard time understanding how a judge could come to the conclusion that an athlete who is on scholarship is somehow an employee of an institution. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm still wading through the details of the ruling um, to better have, an, have a better understanding of, myself, uh, of it for myself, but just understanding what I understand about collegiate athletics, um, the life of student-athletes, and how uh, the two interact and intertwine and are integrated, it makes all the sense in the world. It really does. Um, and, you know, now you got the doomsday folks that say, this is the end of the NCAA as we know it, which may not be a bad thing. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that's been my interaction. with That's been my initial kind of gut, visceral reaction to it all, is that this, this is a good thing. Um, and I've tried to express that to as many folks as I can. This is a good thing. This is going to um, really force the NCAA to look at its practices. Um, it's going to force mm-hmm. the NCAA to really figure out how it can better serve student-athletes um, in a way that's more equitable, um, which yes. for me is extremely important. Um, you're talking about a billion-dollar industry that hides behind uh, amateurism and the intrinsic value of a college education, uh, these very, in, in 2014, very Pollyanna uh, ideals mm-hmm. um, in order to mask greed, uh, money-grabbing um, practices that fly in the face of all of the things that they talk about, all the things that fans of college athletics uh, tout as the reason they're engaged, the, the tradition, the passion, all that stuff goes out of the window behind closed doors when decisions are being made uh, that involve dollars and cents. And um, it's about time that the players, the student-athletes, had a seat at the table um, to be a part of those decisions. Well, I think you hit it right on the head, and, and, and it's good tonight to have, you know, he's a, he's a friend, he's like family of the program, um, that uh, he's the author of uh, Counterfeit Amateurs, uh, he's a professor in the College of Business at uh, University of New Haven and president of the Drake Group. Uh, let's welcome uh, to the Real Sports Guys, uh, Dr. Alan Sack. How are you doing, Alan? I'm great. And what you just said, like, wrapped it up. I think we should just land it there. <laughs> that was very eloquent. <laughs> <What's left? laughs> hey, we, we, you know, we've been on the case with this for a long time, and and we we, we did carve out a lot of time to do this because I, I think our listeners – uh, because we want this to be the place where we really get into this. Uh, we're not, we don't see ourselves as a 60-second soundbite like ESPN and some of the other. we got a lot of respect for them, but this is a place where we hope to get a little bit deeper into uh, some of these things. And and I want to. the reason why I want to start here, because I've talked to a lot of people, and I don't think they understand how we got to this point. 
And so I really want to spend some time here in the first part of our conversation having you really help people understand some of the historical markers that allow for us to get to where we are now. Because I think folks have not really thought about that, uh, even in thinking about this most recent decision. So help us understand how we got to this point. Oh, my God, it's a, it's a long throw, and I could give you a couple of benchmarks here. Yeah, just uh, the want benchmark. to go back to 1906? What, what, 1906, what, 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 you, the National, uh, uh, yes. National Collegiate Athletic Association was, uh, well, they were founded in 1905, but they had their first organizational meeting in 1906. And at that first organizational meeting, they made it very, very clear, there's no doubt about what I'm saying right now, I... I defy anyone to, to prove me wrong on this one. At that first meeting, they said that athletic scholarships were a, vi- a blatant violation of amateurism, right? Mm. That you could not yeah. give athletic scholarships, that in fact they were a blatant violation of, of amateurism. That was what they said in 1906. Well, of course, for the next uh, 50 years, uh, most schools just totally ignored that. <laughs> uh, and the athletes were being paid, believe me, they were already being paid under the table uh, for all of those years. It's to- the NCAA had no enforcement power, and therefore the schools just went out and the communities uh, would get together and get money, as much money as they could gather, to bring in some kind of a ringer athlete into the school to play for the school. Uh, so the paying the athletes... The whole idea of amateurism never really fit very well with the American culture. We live in a society not like British aristocracy where they had this notion of, you know, work is a bad thing and making money is a bad thing, etc. In the United States, man, from the, in, in the, certainly in the early 20th century, it was uh, kill or be killed, go out there and make as much money as you possibly can. And th- that ethos spilled right over into sports. So it was tough to uphold this notion of amateurism. So let's just start right off on the first first point. There has been uh, amateurism has not really really existed in the United States uh, in any effective way. Uh, certainly since the founding of the NCAA. So it's been a myth. It's been an ideology. It's been exploitative and used by the NCAA uh, for all of that time. Next benchmark, 1956, because. Because the NCAA realized at this point there was nothing they could do about the athletes being paid uh, by everybody else, uh, Walter Byers, who was then the executive director of the NCAA, said, i got a great idea. Why don't we just give the athletes the money right up front? What we'll do is we'll take the money that's going under the table now to the athletes, and we'll have those, those donors give that money to the financial aid office at the university, and they will give it right back to the, the athletes. And we'll call it an athletic scholarship. All right, so in 1956, you have the first uh, true example of the NCAA embracing the idea that we're going to give, uh, we're going to give this money to the athletes uh, because we can't stop it. We can't stop the under-the-table payments, so we'll, we'll make it legitimate. You know, we'll make it an athletic scholarship because that will, fought, that will stop the under-the-table payments. Now, of course, as you and I both know, uh, it did not stop the under-the-table payments. The athletes took the room board tuition and fees, plus they continued taking the under-the-table play payments, right? So uh, it was uh, hard, hard to stop that. But it's important to realize one thing, that in 1956, 57, when they first had these athletic scholarships, 
they were given for a four-year period. You couldn't take that athletic scholarship away if the athlete ended up being a recruiting mistake. They called it dead wood. Or if the athlete were, were injured and so forth. And when I played at Notre Dame in the 1960s, I had such a, a scholarship. You couldn't take it away. Problem with that, you get stuck with these kids who aren't very good and you can't get rid of them. And in some ways, what was happening, and it happened in a couple instances, the athletes might just take the scholarship and then walk away and just say, mm-hmm. well, hey, you gave me a four-year scholarship, and there was no quid pro quo here. You know, it was no contract, so it was a gift to me to further my education. So athletes may have taken advantage of that. And plus, it drove the coaches crazy. They couldn't get rid of, uh, of a kid who wasn't as good as they should really be. So a really important marker in this whole discussion is 1973. In 1973, the National Collegiate Athletic Association introduced the one-year renewable scholarship. Whoa, okay, one-year renewable. And that meant that if if, uh, every year they could determine whether or not you were the kind of ball player they wanted, not the student had nothing to do with it. It was a matter of... If you weren't performing to the coach's expectations, you could now take the athlete's scholarship away for just about anything at the end of one uh, semester, at the end of one year. Um, that changed the whole ball game because now you start moving toward what I would call a contractual quid pro quo. In other words, there's an offer, there's a consideration, and there's a uh, 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 and an acceptance, and that's what we mean by a contract. So in 1973, these athletic scholarships start looking a hell of a lot like they had all the trappings of employment. And by the way, there had already been a couple of lawsuits in the 1950s and 60s, certainly in the 70s, uh, in the area of workers' compensation, where athletes had been severely uh, injured and some quadriplegics, uh, pretty bad stuff, uh, and they went to court and they said, hey, uh, we are employees, and we deserve workers' compensation. The NCAA was able to hold that off with its rhetoric about amateurism. So I want you to know that in the past there have been attempts to uh, point out, especially with the one-year renewable scholarships, that we had a contract that looked like employment, and therefore athletes should have some employees' rights, especially the idea of workers' compensation. Things went right along. Uh, and I would say in the next 20, 30 years, couple, three decades or whatever, almost up to the present, the one-year uh, renewable scholarship continued on, and athletes could be fired, all right, uh, if they weren't really performing to expectations. And, um, and for your, your listeners, I might just add in here that in some states of the United States, they do have definitions in the law of what an employee is. And in the state of Michigan, an employee would be a person who, first of all, if you're an employee, if you're the un- under the control of an employer, under the control. In other words, they can tell you what to do and you have to do it. And mm. if you don't do it, number two, they can fire you. That is, that they can, uh, they can dismiss you, they can fire you for not really uh, not being, uh, uh, doing what they want you to do. And this is in the workplace anywhere. This applies to defining what an employee is as opposed to a, an independent contractor. 
Uh, the next, uh, the third factor that comes up in the argument is you're an employee. Um, if your employer pays, pays your daily living expenses, pays your daily living expenses. And finally, the number four char- characteristic here of employment in many of the states is that you're part of the employer's business, all right, that in fact yeah, you're working for your, it's your, your employer's business. I might interject here quickly mm-hmm. that if you hire me to paint your house and don't tell me how to do it, you just say, hey, you want to paint my house, paint my house. You, you bring your own equipment, you bring your own ladder, so on and so forth, you fall off the roof, you break your leg. There is no workers' compensation there because I was not your employer. You were an independent contractor. You came in and you decided that you wanted to paint my house. I said, okay, do it whatever way you want to do it. However, if I hire a company to come and paint my house and you're working for the company and in the process of painting my house you fall off your, your uh, uh, you fall off the ladder and you break break your, your your leg or what have you, then you are in fact an employee because you work for a company and that company controls you in terms of those factors I just uh, talked about. So the question now becomes: In big time college sports, these athletes do they satisfy those criteria? When I think about it, they 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 satisfy it perfectly in terms of what it means to be an employee. Uh, the issue of whether the uh, big-time college sports is part of the business of the university, for your listeners who may be a little skeptical, is big-time college sport a business of the university? In 1984, one of the most important decisions came along that ever was passed uh, in the area of intercollegiate athletics. That was at the Supreme Court level, and it's called uh, the Regents case, the University of Oklahoma and Georgia versus the NCAA. The unif- when I was a kid, mm. a long time ago, I used to see the NCAA game of the week. And they maybe mm. had one game and they had a couple of other regional games, and that was it. If the Brown University was playing Lafayette, you watch that. I'm sitting in my house. I want to watch Penn State and, and Ohio State. You can't because the NCAA says you've got to watch the games that we say you have to, to play, and there are only a few of those. Uh, the Oklahoma and Georgia went to the Supreme Court of the United States, and they said, that's not right. It says that we should be able to negotiate our own television contracts without interference from the NCAA. In other words, the NCAA is acting like an illegal cartel, and they're not allowing us to go out and make as much money as we want with our athletic program. Well, who won that case? The schools won that case against the NCAA. And what you have now is you don't have the game of the week. you got the 300 games of the weekend. Every okay. school in the world is out there in this um, arms race to try to get as uh, much television time as is humanly possible. And in essence, to answer this question, what did the, what did the Supreme Court say? The Supreme Court said that that big-time college sports is just like any other business. They actually said it. And in his minority opinion, uh, one of the minority uh, judges, uh, uh, well, what was his name? He was a University of Michigan uh, star at one time or other, but he was on the minority opinion. He said, the, NCAA, the, the court here has erred 
by treating college sports just like any other business. The point I'm trying to make is the Supreme Court said that it's a business, all right? Mm-hmm. So there's no argument about that. So uh, if you take all those things into consideration, a lot of other uh, cases, debates, and arguments, and so forth, it finally comes down to uh, millions and millions of dollars are being made from big from big time college sports. When I was at Notre Dame, I had a four year scholarship. There was no freshman eligibility. I played ten games. There were no no bowl games at Notre Dame, and we won the national championship. Today, you got kids coming into schools who aren't even close to as well educated as as I was on a lot of my other teammates. They are playing freshman they are playing school uh big time college sports as freshmen um, they are uh, many times not getting the kind of education that they they really really deserve and uh and they are bringing in money that uh we never dreamed of and they're playing playing twelve games plus a bowl game and I played at Notre Dame, and in the afternoon they had me from around 2.30, maybe to 7 o'clock at night, you know, with practice and training table and watching films. These kids today, I swear, when I read the opinion that came out just you know, last week on, from, that, uh, from Michigan and what that uh, NLRB uh, person said, and he did an investigation, kids today are working 60 hours a week. They're getting up at six o'clock in the morning. They're lifting weights. <laughs> they're they're adjusting all their courses to fit the coach's wishes. They take majors that the that the coaches want them to take rather than the ones they want to take because they have to fit into the uh, the, the coach's uh, whole um, uh, uh, approach to, to the game. Uh, they are uh, they're not they they play twelve games. They get off for a couple of weeks before spring practice, then they practice on spring practice, they have pre-spring practice, and then they go home in the summer. They may have a little time off, but they have to work out in the summer, and if they don't, they're going to come back and they're not going to really be in shape, and they're going to lose their athletic scholarship because they're not in shape. That's it. That is the history of it. It is totally, the NCAA went totally overboard, off the wall, and they had total control over every aspect of the athletes' lives. And many people don't realize that. Many people still think it's like it was when I played, and it is not like it was when I played. Uh, these kids have truly become employees, not students, and they are, uh, and they're being totally exploited. And so Ramogi Huma, much to his credit, he <laughs> just a bright young man, charismatic young man, dedicated young man. He actually uh, went forth and went forward, and and caught the really he was able to catch the the emotions of of, of the, the athletes they identified with what he was saying they understood what he was uh, saying was right and he hasn't stopped yet he started at northwestern and he's going to continue on sorry for going on like that but no that's no. the story well that's important uh, you listen to the real sports guys real sports guys.com uh, on the Frederick County gateway uh, we have uh, the president of the Drake Group. You can find uh, the Drake Group, the Drake Group at uh, thedrakegroup.org, uh, and an author of Counterfeit Amateurs and a professor at New Haven University, uh, Alan Sack, who is uh, a friend of the program. And and uh, it was important for us to let go a little bit because I think that content needs to get out there so people understand. I think it's important for you know, in this day and age where you have access to information for people to, to look and, and look at these things because there's so much connected 
uh, to this uh, history and and how uh, this this system, as you say, this kind of uh, this kind of capitalistic capitalism of uh, athletic capitalism has um, uh, kind of happened over time. Um, and so it's important for people to to kind of understand the history and how we we got to this point to understand where we we probably need to go and where the possible solutions exist. You talked about remote humor. You talked about you know kind of the, the National College Players Association. Can you give people a sense of that organization, its origin, and what it, it's done? Because they've given them some pub, but I don't know if people understand even how that organization evolved and how it's become a, a player in this before we we get uh, deeper into what what happened in terms of announcement last year, last week. And, and Devon, I'm going to promise I'm going to keep my answer short from now on. But one okay. thing I want to say about your show, I am so grateful that. All of uh, talk radio, talk television, or whatever, has become sound bites now. And mm-hmm. one reason why people don't really get the total story is because they never have a chance to hear the total story. They're just getting little nips and bits and pieces here and there. So your show, I think, has been tremendously progressive in that regard. So, well, thank you. Uh, God bless you. So, in terms of the National College Players Association, do you give people a sense of what that's all about? Uh, because then I want to pivot to the to the Drake group as well. But talk a little bit about what Remogi's created with that organization and how it's evolved over time. Yeah, I remember uh, Ramogi. I, I first talked to him. It was probably back in uh, 2004 or thereabouts, and maybe even before that. And his organization was called the uh, the, the College uh, Athletes Coalition, the Collegiate Athletes Coalition. That's how it started off. And uh, from the very outset, he had very modest uh, goals. Uh, in the beginning, he, sim- uh, he simply told me, and I, c- I can quote him, and he said to me, look, Alan, I'm not looking for, like, uh, big salaries and millions of dollars for the athletes. I just want them to have uh, basic necessities. His, his main um, uh, goal in the beginning was to get the full cost of, of attendance at a university. You know that a... Um, an athletic scholarship, as defined by the NCAA, is less than the federal government's definition of what the full cost of attendance is. And it's probably a different by about $3,000 in some schools and up to maybe five or 6000 elsewhere. So uh, Ramogi started off just saying, hey, we just want the full cost of, of attendance. Uh, we don't want to get paid. We don't need salaries. And we want to have a say in this. So that's when I, I met him. And uh, and he he continued on, and uh, I guess the, the the next thing he did was he was able to press. This is very important. In California, he was able to go ahead and uh, get a bill. You know, uh, he he went he started the first antitrust case, and he said that it's against the anti violates the national antitrust rule to not allow the athletes to have that little bit more uh, that they probably should have as part of their athletic scholarships. So Ramogi started that way, and uh, again, because of his charisma, tremendously bright, uh, he and I actually got a a, uh, bill through the state of Connecticut called the College Athletes' Right to Know Act, and he passed that in California, too, with uh, uh, Schwarzenegger as the governor who signed it into law. So he started modestly. He has not 
he was not really looking just to get paid for athletes. He wanted to do something that was in the best interest of the athletes, including medical care, you know, including you know, uh, uh, catastrophic injury insurance and that kind of stuff. So people have him wrong if they're thinking he's just going out there and all he cares about is just getting as much money back out of this whole thing as humanly possible. That's not the way he started. He started, he really was in, interested in these athletes getting an education and making sure that they were not being uh, uh, given room, board, tuition, and fees, and, and that's it. And uh, and really not even getting tuition because you don't get an education. <laughs> so yeah. take out the tuition part because you're going there. You're not they're not allowing you to get the the education that the tuition is supposed to cover. So that's my early my early remembrances of uh, of Ramogi and how he single handedly. No, he had others. He, he he also hooked up with the United Steelworkers of America, who helped him very much uh, to move ahead. So he was. Moving in a union direction, even back in the uh, you know the early uh, uh, the first decade of the twenty first century. Uh, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com uh, on the Frederick's Accounting Gateway. We have uh, Dr. Alan Sack. Um, Alan, can you um, talk a little bit about um, the Drake Group and? One of the things that you and I, when we went in, even talking about uh, having, uh, setting up for this conversation, uh, is that um, you're taking a little different path. I think there's a lot of agreement between um, how you and Romogi are looking at these things, but there there's some differences. But but the Drake Group has kind of come at it from a slightly different angle. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the Drake Group. I uh, by the way, back in 1980. 1979, I, I was the director of an organization called the Center for Athletes' Rights and Education, and I was working with the National Football League Players Association, very similar to uh, Ramogi, right, with his connection with the, the steel workers. And one of our goals was to actually unionize uh, college athletes. We felt that college athletes should have the right to collect the bargaining and so forth. That's back in the 1980s. Yeah. And we had a grant from the federal government for $250,000, and because uh, <laughs> it was called the Fund for the Improvement of Post-Secondary Education, and uh, when we started going out there trying to organize athletes, they took our grant away, <laughs> and we, <laughs> we refused to back off, and, and that was that. So, so we had tried that. Now, in 2000 and, uh, well, 1999, I got involved with a group of people called, uh, it wasn't called the Drake Group, it was a couple people who got together and said, hey, let's fix this whole thing. And we just happened to be at Drake University, so hence it became called. It was ultimately called the Drake Group, and uh, the the mission of the Drake Group that we defined in 2004 was to defend academic integrity in higher education uh, uh, from the coercive aspects of uh, of commercialized college sports. We're not, we're not saying, we weren't then and we're not now, saying we're opposed to all commercialism. We don't want to go out there and dynamite the, uh, the stadiums and take away this thing that many people love, college sports and the, uh, uh, the collective euphoria that we get involved with. And that, that's okay. But when it gets to the point that it overwhelms academic values altogether, then we've got a problem. Uh, so the Drake Group, um, and from the beginning, 
we're Romogi and I were serving different constituencies. His constituency was all those athletes out there, and uh, and he was doing well at organizing them. Our constituency was college faculty and people who were concerned about the academic side of things primarily. I I want to be honest. Both sides, Romogi and I and our group are concerned about academic integrity, but we put a greater emphasis on that than does Ramogi. And we're concerned in the Drake group about the financial exploitation of the athletes, but Ramogi is more so concerned about that for his constituency. So how did that turn out in terms of our our current bill that we are uh, seeking a sponsor for in Congress? It's called the College Athletes Protection Act. Uh, it is... Um, the college, uh, the CAP Act, we call it. And how does it differ from Ramogi's? This is this is very complicated and uh, seemingly contradictory. But uh, Ramogi's been involved in antitrust uh, uh, efforts, saying that hey, if the if the big time college uh, uh, schools have protection under antitrust, and they're allowed to sell their wares to the highest bidder. Ramogi is saying, well, how come the, the athletes can't do the same thing? This is before work, This is before the union movement, because Ramogi was very much involved in the antitrust thing. The Drake group, on the other hand, has been saying, the real problem here is the NCAA itself. And our approach is we think it should be dismantled and rebuilt from, from the bottom up. And how to do that, we believe it or not, and this is going to not make sense maybe to a lot of people, we want to restructure the NCAA so that its, its board of directors is made up of former college presidents rather than current college presidents because they're under mm. a tremendous conflict of interest. And the, it's the alumni who are running the universities and the athletic programs, not the college presidents. How to avoid that? No current college president could not be on the NCAA board of directors. We'd like to add uh, former trustees rather than ones who are on the boards of, of directors and the boards of governors at the universities right now. Uh, we'd like to add a, a former athletic directors to this board, and we'd like to add athletes to this board, which you don't have right now in the NCAA. So. First of all, we want more diversity on that board of, of uh, directors of the NCAA. And here's the, the kind of radical part. We believe that divisions one, two, and three should have equal authority on that board. So no longer would the FBS schools used to be called, for your, your listeners, used to be called mm-hmm. Division 1A. Uh, we think they should have equal representation on, on that board. Then here's what we're gonna, we want to do. We want to give that brand-new board, not the board now. We wouldn't go close to the present board talking about giving them some sort of a, a limited antitrust exemption. They created this problem. They don't deserve that. So we're saying this brand-new restructured NCAA board, we would give them a limited antitrust exemption. Why? So that they can slow down the arms race, meaning, and this is going to really upset a lot of your, your listeners uh, probably, uh, we believe that college uh, coaches are paid entirely too much. Seven million dollars a year is simply not proper. It is not right. It is not ethical for someone who's working in a not-for-profit organization, a 501c3, which universities are, to be making that kind of money. These coaches, 
they should not be making that kind of money. So how do you stop and bring it back into some sort? There should be competition, and they should make quite a bit of money because they do a lot of work. However, uh, how can we bring it back into line so that more of that money that's going to the coaches is now coming back to the athletes in the form of educational and medical and other kinds of uh, benefits? An antitrust if, if the NCAA had an antitrust exemption, they could lower those and fix those salaries in a certain way without having to worry about being sued because they would have a limited antitrust exemption. Another example, we think that the whole idea of conference realignment merely for the purpose of penetrating new market segments, that's why they're doing it. Are, mm-hmm. are, those, are those conferences get being involved in, in uh, uh, conference realignment because they want to help the athletes? No way. We want to stop that. Uh, and how can you stop that? Right now, if the NCAA tried to stop that, they would be sued and they would lose an antitrust case. And what we're saying, the new NCAA that we're talking about would be able to bring that under control. And any commercial activity that the NCAA engages in, uh, the NCAA would be able to stop it. And they would be able to, if in fact, it violated the best academic interests of the athletes. So, you asked me the question, how do Ramogi and I differ most markedly? If he heard me talking right now, he'd be trying to crawl through the phone lines to strangle me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're close friends. I consider us to be very close yes. friends. We've gone through stuff together. But when I told him this one, he started screaming at me. <laughs> oh, he, my now his feeling is that I'm being naive, that we're not going to be – if no matter, as long as there's an NCA, it's going to be co- corrupt – and if you give them a, an antitrust exemption, they'll even be more corrupt. And uh, we don't think so. We really believe that that, that uh, idea has, has guts. Now, and add into this one that uh, there would be conditions for having that, uh, that antitrust exemption. And here are a couple of them. In order for the NSA to have an antitrust exemption, they'd have to grant multi-year scholarships uh, up to five-year maximum and they would extend the graduation that it could not be reduced or taken away for uh, performance uh, or for injury and so forth. Uh, we were in favor of the full cost of attendance for athletes in the NCAA's most competitive division, just like Ramogi. Uh, we support very heartily an academic trust fund from all the money that's coming in from big-time college sports at Division One. At, and that trust fund would be would go toward uh, postgraduate uh, degrees for athletes who, who can't afford that. Uh, it would go toward allowing undergraduate athletes who don't make it in the pros and who leave college early to come back and complete their educations. We believe that they deserve that. We are putting a, a large amount of money. Here's another one we're doing. I, I really want you to, to listen to this. We believe that the uh, NCAA should own the football national championship, not the BCS, but the uh, they shouldn't own it, not these conferences. The NCAA should own it just like it owns the Final Four. And with the profits from that national championship that is uh, being owned now by the NCAA, those profits would all go right back to the athletes, not as cash, you know, not as uh, out, out there, you know, uh, 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 salary payments, but in terms of uh, medical benefits, injury insurance, uh, catastrophic injury insurance. Uh, no, no family should have to pay the, the, the insurance uh, premiums for their kids when they get hurt playing college sports. That should come right out of the NCAA. 
we, we support uh, neurological and uh, assessments uh, look, looking for concussions, and this should be done all the time. Uh, the, and here's another one, and I'll stop. The, we believe that the athlete should have a right to engage in commercial activities like modeling, uh, product endorsements, uh, similar uh, enterprises, as long as they don't do that uh, and as, as representatives of the institution. They do it on the basis of their own fame. If they're famous kids and they want to go out there and they want to sell their autographs, they want to do whatever the heck it is, they can't mention their school and they can't mention their sport, but they're allowed to go out and do that kind of stuff on the side. We think that's only, only fair. And those are only a few of the things we're doing. And, and as you realize, Devon, much of that stuff is what Ramogi's doing. Yeah. But our way to get there is going to be uh, through this antitrust exemption and restructuring of the NCAA. The way that Ramogi is going to do it is by not really challenging the structure of the NCAA, but challenging the power of the NCAA to control them because now they are going to have uh, the rights of other unionized employees. I hope that kind of – it's it's really complicated, Devon. Yes. It's really complicated. Well, well, we, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. I'm going to bring uh, Marcus in, because I want to get in. You said a lot, and I want to get into some of that here in our final segment. Uh, with okay. So we're going to take a, a short commercial break, and then we'll, we'll come back. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Uh, on the Frederick County uh, Gateway, uh, we have Dr. Alan Sack uh, here talking about uh, just a lot of the developments that happened recently with um, the decision with Northwestern, but also um, I think some pretty aggressive um, uh, proposals that he wants to work through legislation um, regarding the, the future and restructuring of the NCAA. Um, I want to bring in uh, my, my co-host, uh, uh, Marcus Flowers, uh, to, to engage in some conversation. Marcus, I, I know you probably have some questions you've been sitting on the sidelines uh, regarding everything that you've heard. I think we have Marcus here. I have a very, He's probably, very are you there? You there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. I was going to say, I think uh, Alan and his team at the Drake Group have a very ambitious plan that I'm all for. Um, I think the, the things that they're talking about as far as restructuring um, the NCAA and, and rebuilding it um, in a newer image. You know, I think as a society we have a lot of systems that exist um, from a different time that haven't evolved and don't necessarily fit into the current, uh, and particularly with, with industries like sports that have evolved from um, regional or local pastimes to national uh, obsessions. Um, and we don't really have a framework for 
really addressing, um, understanding, or discussing how do we change, how do we better serve the the current social um, inter, 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 interactions that that happen um, between athletes, sport, institutions, fans. Um, to me, the system has always been broken um, in my short lifetime. Um, it's always felt a little out there, a little wrong. Um, Alan, I want to ask you a question uh, while we have you on. Uh, what do you think is the next step uh, for the NCAA given this decision? Um, what's going to happen now? I think we got Alan here. Alan, you there? Alan, you there? I think we got here. We're about to bring him back in. We'll keep going. Yeah, we're going to bring him back in. Yeah, I think think you've got a good question going on here regarding this. Uh, We'll probably have Alan come back in with us uh, here in a few minutes. Um, But you you asked a really good question about what do you think – uh, we're going to go out. We're going to try again here to make sure we have Alan. Alan, you're in the house here? All right. Well, we're going to keep it moving uh, for right now. We'll have uh, we'll have uh, our producers work with him and then see if we can get him back on. Because I think you're hitting a, a really important question uh, right now, and I want to make sure that we, um, uh, you know, kind of hit on that because I think you're right. I mean, this next move, I mean, they're talking about doing something really aggressive. Uh, regarding um, the, um, uh, you know, the NCAA, the restructuring. I mean, I think uh, a lot of it gets to kind of this, the core of, um, of you know, what we, uh, you know, what we're talking about, like getting to the root of it, because he's hitting it at multiple levels. And I, I think that was one of the things, even when I um, would talk to Ramogi about, is that kind of how do you get at the fabric, how do you get at the kind of the institutional fabric that is, the underpinnings of this whole operation, um, and how do you leverage it to get students more engaged in the academic life um, of the um, uh, of the of the institution? And so, um, you know, um, you know, so you know, I think I think that's what's really important. Alan, I want to make sure we got Alan. Do we have Alan back back with us? Am I back with you guys? Yeah, you're back. You're back with us. So we we want to make sure that uh, we, uh, I don't that know if you had a chance to to hear Marcus's question. Uh, I heard that the, the question is a great question, and yeah. my response probably got cut off is that I think the NCAA, you asked me how they're going to respond, they're going to continue stonewalling like they always have, and they're going to pull out the old amateur deal, and they're going to say these are, these are amateurs who are, are students first, and you're going to destroy the university uh, by making these kids into, <laughs> into uh, uh, professional athletes. Uh, well, of course, they're already professional athletes, and they're already uh, employees, but the NCAA will hammer away at that. Uh, and you know what else they're going to do? Under extreme duress, which they're under right now, they're going to start making little, uh, make little compromises. They've already made one. The last time I talked to the real guys, sports guys, uh, I was talking about multi-year scholarships to the uh, full extent of, uh, of, uh, of getting your, your degree. The NCAA in 2011, probably, or thereabouts, or 12, actually voted in an optional 
multi-year scholarship thing. They won't go the whole way, but they're going to keep on throwing in these little things just to kind of uh, uh, show that they're really uh, serious, but they're not going to make any serious reform. And, uh, and Ramogi's not going to stand for that, and other groups are not going to stand for that anymore. And uh, that's what I think they'll do. Now, one of the things, things that, you know, that whole, they should have done, they should have done yeah. 20 years ago, and now they're going to come along and try to, to say that they're going to save the ship. No way. Who's going to trust them? They've lost public trust. Well, one of the things, because I, I always hear people talking about, especially with the whole unionizing, um, I hear them talking about um, whether or not, um, I think about graduate education, and, you know, as a faculty member, you know how that works. Um, in terms of graduate education, um, it, I'm, I'm, it, it's strange to me because we already have unions with graduate students. And so that kind of balance between academics and kind of work and everything else in terms of TAs, how is this any different than that? And you're saying there are already unions? Yeah, there are already unions for graduate students. So, like, for if you're oh, TAs yeah. and, and everything, we already have these unions, and it's still a balance between, yeah. you know, they produce research, they do their scholarship and academics. So why is this whole unionizing a big issue when we already have demonstrated on a lot of our campuses in public and private probably where uh, graduate students have been unionized for years? Yeah, I think uh, that that point's been made. I, 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 I had a, an opportunity to write a little something for the New York Times this weekend, and I supported the unionization thing. And one of the responders to that uh, wrote in and he said, hey, we, I was a, a graduate student. And the union really helped us. It gave us a much more, you know, it helped us to get by living under very, you know, uh, very minimal uh, financial compensation. But they said that works. So you're right. Yeah, that 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 could work. Well, that, that's the reason that, I raised that. Yeah, that's the reason I raised it as an issue because I mean, people keep saying this, and I and I just uh, I'm I, I used to, I'm like we already have that happening on campuses uh, in ways that I don't think people have, have realized. Uh, it, it, it's already happening. One of the, the counter arguments I think might have been in, in some of the courts that what those graduate students is closer to the academic uh, goals of the university. In other words, they're working on research with professors. You know, they're grading exams. They're doing the kind of things that that are integral to what goes on mm -hmm. in the educational side. Whereas yeah. sports, one could argue. One, that's what, this is what the argument of the NSA will be. Sports are not like that in the same way, you know, that. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but, but there are going to be a lot of arguments back and forth, but you're absolutely correct. It does exist. There are precedents for, for students who are uh, having, forming unions and working in, in universities. Yeah, and the only kind of argument I would make to that is that there's so much research we build on activities outside the classroom that are leadership-type activities that, um, uh, aren't necessarily for credit that we give value to, whether it's uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways that we do that we think is part of the educational enterprise. And so, plus the NCAA keeps on saying that that, that big-time college sports is educational. They're the ones yeah. who keep on saying it's educational, so how can they turn yeah. around now and start arguing the yeah. opposite? So I think you have yeah. a point. Well, uh, you know, one of the things I want to say is uh, this has been a good experience uh, with us. Um, I, you know, I definitely we're going to try and bring you back again here uh, very soon. We hope to get you back on with Ramogi because uh, I think that would be a great conversation. I know that um, you're going to be um, uh, on a panel with him, I think, in a few weeks here in South Carolina. Yes. That's supposed to be happening. Yes, and 
Uh, I, I want to hear Vermogi's uh, total uh, uh, argument as well. I don't think he's had a chance to get it out there. I really would like to ask him a lot of questions about what form is this going to take, what are the consequences of the, the unionization, uh, what is the impact on Title IX, for instance, which we don't have time to talk about right now. If this brings in more money for the men uh, in some way or other, if the athletes get, uh, let's say that the big-time college athletes and their teams are getting 50% of the, uh, the TV revenue, and it comes to the males, are the, are the females going to say that this is a violation of Title IX? And is there a way out of that particular question? So there are a lot, a lot of questions that we don't have time to really go into. I lose you guys again? No, we're here. We're here. We're here. Um, okay. We're back. Uh, I think the... Oops. Okay, yeah. So you're on with the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Here with Dr. Alan Sack via the Frederick Accounting Gateway Hotline. Um, yeah, that's something that I love to get set up, uh, a time for you and Ramogi to kind of just hash this out. And if that could happen over the Renegades Airways, that would be Unbelievable. I'm enjoying just listening to you break this stuff down. I'm learning a ton. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on with us this week, uh, Alan, and we will be in touch with you to have you back. We love having you on. Um, you're one of my favorite guests, uh, and I'm not just sucking up. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not kidding you that you're, you're my favorite show. You, you put off with my just uh, running on and on a little bit, and I'll try to keep – I'll try to work on sound bites between now and the next. Uh, and we don't need sound bites. We don't do sound bites here. We like to give people uh, a lot of meat. We, this is a meat and potatoes kind of radio show. You know, this isn't the fast food radio. We want folks to really be able to dig in and, and really digest some of the topics that we like to throw at people um, because we're, we're all kind of uh, in-depth guys, and so we want to make sure our fans get in-depth information from us. So, Thank you again well, for you joining us. You've got to have Ramogi on there to go into to detail because he hasn't had a chance yet, and people have kind of attacked him uh, without really knowing the full story about what he has in mind. And, uh, and I'm sure he'll be getting that out as the weeks go by. Yeah, well, we thank definitely you again for joining him on. That's right. Well, well, thank you again, Alan. This is Devon, but thank you again for joining us, uh, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. And, Always uh, a pleasure. All right, uh, that's Dr. Alan Sachs, uh, author of Counterfeit uh, Amateurs and uh, professor at New Haven University and uh, president of the Drake Group. Uh, this is a great conversation. Uh, I'm telling you right now, um, this is only going to get bigger. And you got to say you heard it here at The Real Sports Guys. Uh, we were pushing the, uh, the, the envelope tonight. We pushed the energy. We tried to break blog talk radio. A couple times we're going in and out, we're trying to break. If you all hear the static in here, the game changer tell you, we're trying to break blogs. We're trying to over, over, yeah, yeah. We're we pushing through. So we're pushing through right now. We're pushing <laughs> through. You know, we're reaching, we're reaching through the uh, the fabric of the internet radio format right now, and that's what you're hearing. You're hearing us breaking through, and it's going to be a little rough. It's going, there's going to be some turbulence, but we're coming through, and now we're coming in crystal clear, uh, loud, and li- live and direct. It's the real Locked. sports guy. 
it, you know, we done set some screens. You know, Phil T been setting screens. You know, he been he been <laughs> he like that cat that get like you got two points right now in the thing, but the screens, the key down the stretch for the screens, that rebound, that that loose ball, that's what he's been doing and kind of working himself back in. Phil, you've been listening. I know you're a student of this stuff. You know, what's your reflection on this? Well, I've always enjoyed when Alan has been able to come onto our show and, you know, I think about a couple of years ago and we all start reading the, his book, Counterfeit, Counterfeit Amateurs. Check it out on Amazon.com. It is an excellent read. If you enjoy this conversation that we're having, many of the things that are coming to light right now are things that Alan was calling for in the 80s, as he mentioned, um, and as recent as this book was written, I think it was written maybe five or six years ago. So, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation in regards to um, the graduate student unions that are around the country right now and and how that kind of is parallel to what the student athletes are doing right now. I uh, I like the history um, that Alan was able to share with us. You know, something every time I hear it that just really awakens me is this idea that there are no such things as four-year scholarships. There are one-year renewable scholarships for student-athletes. And I would argue that most most fans don't know this. I would argue that many student athletes aren't aware of this. In fact, I was talking to my brother, who was a Division One college baseball player in the early 90s, um, just this past weekend. And I asked him, did you, did you ever know that your scholarship that you had to play baseball um, was not a four-year scholarship? He had no idea. I I talked to another friend of mine who played Division One basketball just uh, seven or eight years ago, and he had no idea about this. Um, that that raises the question of, um, is this something that's in the fine print, or is this something that college coaches aren't obligated to really share? Um, they're not obligated to explain this because, you know, in general, um, you know, kids probably are going to have that four-year scholarship but there are exceptions. You get a new coach yep. that comes in and, and a player does not fit their system or a player wants to start off fresh. I'm sorry, a coach wants to start off fresh. Um, there is there is fallout. There mm-hmm. is fallout. And it does happen. So there there's just a lot of things that need to be tightened up. And I'm just thrilled with what's been going on, you know, at, North, at Northwestern and – I'm just really excited with the direction that this thing is going. And I think you hit this great, the great point about the renewal. I, I talked to my, my sister, my niece is getting at that age where they're beginning to rank players as part of that whole AAU process. And I talked to her about it. She, you know, she didn't know. I mean, she works at a major university and is connected to Brown State, but she was surprised to find out that, renewable. And I said, you know, these are questions you need to be asking part of the recruitment process because it's optional. Some institutions might do it. And, you know, if that information is not out there and even part of, you know, institute, you know, even players being able to leverage that um, as a part of being able to go there. Um, so I think, you know, those are the kind of things that, that no one is even talking about. And then the cost of attendance, I think most people don't understand that 
this is a basic financial aid thing that all students at an institution, they get, like, that athletes don't even have access to, that when you go through your, your presentation for a college visit, the financial aid officer will talk about cost of attendance. And cost of attendance includes pizza on Sunday night, and everybody has a budget. <laughs> and the budget is different at Wisconsin versus Northwestern versus UC Berkeley. And the financial aid is, is developed based on that cost of attendance. And that's a gap, right? So if you come here thinking, not only not knowing you, you have a renewable scholarship, but knowing you might be $3,000 short on your budget when you get there, and most of those folks don't even know that. And so that's right. the other thing that kind of surprised me around not understanding the concept around cost of attendance. Yeah, game yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of there, there are a lot of elements to this, um, and mm-hmm. the renewable scholarships, um, the fact that the population that when you talk about major college college athletics money, the population that is accessing this is a population that doesn't oftentimes is first generation. And with that comes a lot of misconceptions about the process, a lot of misinformation about the process. And there are a lot of false brokers in this process, AAU coaches, hangers-on, uncles, cousins, you know, know, high school coaches, all of these additional folks who are, you know, getting these kids into schools, brokering these kids, signing on national letter of intent, and all these other things. It's, it's just a racket right now, and it's a racket that the player is simply a product. I mean, they are a product, and, you know, everybody is making money off of these kids. Everybody is making money off these kids. Um, coaches are – AAU coaches, high school coaches are getting college jobs on college coaching staffs because of connections with certain kids. You know, um, family members are getting benefits, houses, cars, jobs because of connections with certain kids. Coaches are getting five-year, six-year contract extensions, raises because of connections with kids. All of this is taking place, and the student-athletes themselves are never, ever at the table, not even allowed to be at the table. So it's time for it's time for the uh, the machine to to fall. Um, it's time it's time for the monolith to be broken down. And it's good to see this first this first cannon cannonball fly through the defenses of the NCAA um, with hopes that a new day is brought forth uh, for college athletes that allows them to truly benefit. And what and I think what people don't understand is that, you know, when you're talking about the major sports, football, basketball, when if, if, if colleges made this more profitable for student-athletes, kids would stay longer. You have all these folks complaining about the one-and-dones. This year in, in the NFL, in the NFL draft, you're going to have more underclassmen than ever before. You're going to have a record number of underclassmen entering the NFL draft. So you've got kids leaving early consistently. Why? Because there's no opportunity to benefit from your abilities at the collegiate level. It's just a holding pen. And during this time, 
everybody's leeching off of these kids until they're eligible to declare for the draft in whatever sport they're going to go pro in. So I, I, I wanted to transition. Um, let's uh, let's we're going to hit you off with our dog of the week. Uh, dog of the week is brought to you by Resistance Digital and Resistance Digital Solutions. Uh, check out our man Larry at Resistance Digital um, to get all your digital and tech needs met at a low low price. Larry's like family. He'll come to your crib. He'll hook you up. He'll get everything set up for you. Install everything. Make sure when he leaves you will be set to go with all of your tech needs. So make sure you hit him up at Larry at ResistanceDigital.com. You can email him directly. He'll get you connected. He'll get you uh, priced. He'll get all your needs met. So check him out. Fellas, we got Dog of the Week. D. Wills, I'm going to start with you. You know how it goes. We need more dogs. Man, uh, there's so many. Uh, in, 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 I can't be a homer to say something about Wisconsin, but I'm going to talk about Shabazz Napier. My <laughs> goodness. Timbo walked yeah. up to put his clown suit on and is just doing it. And I, I heard Calhoun on the radio talk about, he was talking about like he's still coaching like our team, we, <laughs> and everything else. But this kid has brought out the emotion <laughs> in everybody. Uh, he has been performing you know, you, you know the numbers, but I just love his uh, swagger. I said a couple weeks, well, his moxie, because I do moxie, I don't do swagger. I'm like, I'm like Pharaoh. Uh, I don't do that. But uh, I love his I love his moxie. Um, I said a couple weeks ago I thought he was the one that raised his stock. He continues to do that. Uh, I go with uh, Shabazz. All right, all right. Shabazz Napier is what I call the NCAA tournament cheat code. It's the up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Start to left. He is the NCAA tournament cheat code. The cheat code for the NCAA tournament is a hot guard. If you are the team with that hot guard, that guard that catches fire, you have the the combo breaker, right? You got the guy who can carry you all the way from beginning to end, wall to wall. A hot big guy, and you still need somebody to give him the ball. But that hot point guard, if you get that point guard that's on a hot streak, that is very, very tough to beat in the NCAA tournament. Shabazz Napier has proven that once again, that those hot point guards, oh, man, I'm telling you, that's the, that's the NCAA tournament cheat code right there. PhD. We need more dogs. I'm going to go to the Dayton Flyers uh, and Devin Oliver. It was so exciting to, to see this 11 seed advance to the Elite Eight. And they lost to the better team in Florida this past Saturday. But I tell you what, it was exciting to watch this team make this run. The first time they had made the Elite Eight in nearly 30 seasons. You know, we heard about just the environment that was at Dayton. And keep in mind, Dayton leads, I think they're in the top 10 attendance. Um, yeah, Dayton, the a 10 they bring about 13,000 fans for home games. So it was just great to see this run and uh, it was a national story, so my dog of the week are the Dayton Flyers. And you called that one. You definitely called that one. Um, that was definitely you, your your call. Um, you you rolled with Dayton. You had me in Lee 8. We laughed. You were right. Um, excellent pick. Uh, just very, uh, you know, with Oliver and his sister's story, it was a very touching story. 
team just brought it. Archie, um, yeah, Archie Miller, great coach. Um, hopefully they can keep him around for a little bit. Um, you know, he's going to be a hot name. They signed him to an extension, which is great for that program. But that's an up-and-coming program, um, a program that's yeah. been a good uh, a, a good brand. Um, but I think this Elite Eight appearance kind of really helps them kind of really raise their profile a little bit, um, which is good. The A-10 is a, is a rock-solid conference. You know, Coach K, yeah. he came yeah. out and he, he had some slick comments about the A-10. And, you know, I, I think – Looking back at it, he's got to he's got to kind of eat his words a little bit. The A10 represented this tournament season, um, and in particular, Dayton represented. Um, you know, they were they were around when there were no more a, 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 a ACC teams left. Um, there was still an A10 team in the tournament. So, um, shout out to the Dayton Flyers. It's my go. Let me go ahead and drop it. We need more dogs. Uh, my dog of the week is Jimmy McNulty, a.k.a. John Calipari. <laughs> this guy, this guy, this guy. This guy's got nine lies. I mean, taking this ragtag group of freshmen, you know, they were highly touted. It, they came in, all of this hype, they fell off, got back up, fell off again, and now they're in the final four. I just... I can't believe it with this guy, man. Like, seriously, this this proves, honestly, for all those folks that didn't think Calipari could coach, this is this is proof in the pudding that the man can coach. Um, you know, what he does is he's got talent. Everybody knows he's got talent. He just has to focus on turning it into a team. And sometimes that takes a, long, a little bit longer than others. But he's done it. He's done it. And he's got a tough group. Um, and this group, you know, are playing. They're playing now the way everybody thought they would be playing back in December and January. Um, again, when you got this this high level of talent where you're bringing in, you know, four guys in the top ten of their class, um, it's going to take a while to sort out who's who and what's what and who gets to take the shots when and how do I get my game off when I'm playing with all these other guys who are also alpha dogs who also have been alpha dogs all their life. So hats off to Calvin Perry for managing that whole situation and finding his way to the final four. This guy is so greasy. So greasy. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that in, I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> you just can't you just you just can't pin him down, man. You can't keep him down. You can't pin him down. You know, he 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 wins Despite all of his naysayers, so hats off to Calipari. Well, well, big blue nation. I can't let that one go, Marcus, because you know what's going to happen in three or four years. They're going to take down some banners. I mean, that's what happened in UMass. This is supposed to be upbeat. I'm sorry. Listen, listen. He's too greasy though. He's too. By the time that happens, he's gonna be gone. He's gonna be in the league, coach. He's too greasy. He's too greasy. He is too greasy. I mean, he is Jimmy McNulty. Again, he is Jimmy McNulty. He he unorthodox. He bends the rules. He figures out how to get it done. And you you just like this this guy again. Like him again. He's here again for real. How did how did he do it this time? It's Jimmy McNulty, man. It's Jimmy McNulty. <laughs> All I can say is keep that keep that extended ladder and the catwalk open because banners will be coming down in a few years. 
recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time It's tricky. I'm in rock of rhyme. I said it's not that easy.
but you know it was a it, it was a battle and they're going back and forth and um you know it was it, it was that you saw kind of those moments uh where you know you wait for that person to step up um you also realize how important you know guard play is and it, with each of the teams it was a different kind of guard play that kind of neutralized things but the, again that power of you know as you go back in the in, in the role that guard play um, plays with uh, with each of these teams uh, in a way of selling the team down and getting easy possessions. Um, I was the most surprised with Michigan State when you think about they only had eight attempts in the lane. And you just don't see an Izzo team like that, um, that with that kind of size, not make that kind of adjustment and really get in the paint and make people pay. Um, I was just so surprised with that. Uh, and I was equally surprised, you know, you, you know, you have been a really big push on, on Kentucky and um, talking about, you know, the way in which you've been seeing them mature. Um, I was surprised, you know, if you think about what Beeline's done as a coaching job, think about how many pl- the players he's lost from just, you know, to draft and then losing um, McGarity, uh, uh here in the season and being able to go this far and winning and battling not necessarily winning guys, but battling, getting those needed possessions. And he had some people grow up um, and to get, you know, hit by a, a shot. And, and, you know, and, and then you talked about um, Calipari, and I've been tweeting this. I'm like, when are people going to give him credit for his ability to coach and not just recruit? I mean, you just they really organize these young fellas and get them going where they were going and watching them mature. You know, that had a lot to do with how he did and then have an injury like they had and, and, and have – um, be able to make the adjustments and have them play uh, the way they did uh, to get over the top. So it was this, and then Bo Ryan. You know, I know the hammer is going. We have to get him on with you because uh, you know in the live show, uh, uh, you yeah, and yeah, yeah. Back and around this. Um, but as I was watching Wisconsin, I realized there's something a little bit different about this team in a sense that yeah, yeah. You know, we've, we've all been saying they've been offensive-minded, but in a way, he's let them play with a level of freedom that you don't quite always see a Ryan coach team play with. Like, he, his Tazio team seemed like they played that way when he was doing Division three. Those of you who've been long enough to see him coach and win those championships in Division three, they, they were – I felt like they're a little bit more great. But since he's been at Wisconsin, you, this is the first team that I see that kind of plays that way. And they got a big man. You know, we're talking about guards, but they're the one team with a big that causes problems because Kaminsky can can play outside and the stuff he the head shut of fake and go into the hoop and laying it up. I mean he plays an in and outside kind of game that I think could cause problems because you can't prepare for that. So they're just like all these storylines. You know, I was just thinking about one shining moment that was happening. But, you know, it was just an amazing weekend, man. I I couldn't it's it's hard to get my arms around it. And then at the end of the day, when the dust settles you know, the work that Kevin Ali is doing. And, and even we talked about this issue about, you know, the state of college sports, but to see someone like Kevin Ali who played, come up through the ranks, um, the mentoring in terms of getting him in the position to be able to take the job and then watch him in two seasons be in this position, uh, there's just so many great storylines that I was just excited about. I mean, I think this has been one of the most exciting tournaments in a, in a long time. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. I mean, the, the amount of close games, um, there haven't been, you know, Mrs. Game Changer made the observation, there haven't been as many overtime games this year as there have been in past years. But the games have been exciting nonetheless. 
very, very exciting. Um, and, you know, when you think about the four teams, UConn, like I said before in, in the uh, live show, they got the cheat code in, in having a hot guard. That's the one thing that makes it very, very difficult, um, makes the team very difficult to beat in the tournament. When you got a guard who can create their own shot, um, knock down big shots, um, and, and create, it just makes it very, it just makes your team very tough to deal with. Um, you know, Wisconsin, this is it. And, and hats off to Hammer. Hammer had the faith. I did not. Um, I did not believe in this Wisconsin team getting this, getting this far. Um, I thought they were a good team, but both had plenty of good teams. Um, you know, but I think with this group, uh, they have so many weapons, and you're right. He is giving this group a lot of freedom. He's giving this group more freedom than he has a lot of his teams. And not only that, he's giving more players on this team freedom. You know, he's, yeah. giving, he's giving the Orlando Tuckers and the Devin Harris's freedom in the past. But in this particular game, with this particular team, there are about three or four guys who kind of have the green light to do their thing um, any given time, and a couple other guys who have a chartreuse light. Yeah. You know, they could, he'll, he'll let them, he'll let them, he'll give them a little leeway on one or two. Um, he's not going to let them get too crazy, but he'll give them a little leeway on one or two. But this guy's really, it seems like his only rule is just don't turn the ball over. You know, he's yeah. quick with it when you turn it over. <laughs> He'll get you out he real fast. Um, <laughs> that horn will sound. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, and you know it's coming. Um, but it was a uh, – it, it's been a, it's been a rocking tournament. You know, we talked about Calipari and, and you know, getting getting that group of young guys to come together to coalesce and become a unit, a team. It's probably his best work. Um, I'm not even going to front. I think that's probably his best coaching job when you can get basically – five high school guys, um, you know, to and, and take them, um, have them struggle, and then have them rebound and, and develop a sense of resilience and come back and turn themselves into a Final Four team, it's a heck of a story, man. That is a heck of a story. And then you got Billy Donovan's crew. Um, you're right, Billy Donovan's crew is just, they're vets. They're veterans and they grind. And vet guys just find a way to beat you. They like San Antonio Spurs. You know, when it comes down to what do they do best, what do you want to pinpoint, what do you want to attack, it's hard to really quantify. It's hard to really figure out. But in the end, they're in the mix, and they got a chance to win every game. And as a player yeah, and as like a coach, the, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, they like the Teddy Pendergrass of, of, the, of the tournament. You right. know, right. it's going to be a hit, but it's going to feel rugged. Yep, yep. I think you got to let it go. (laughs) So, looking at this tournament, looking at this tournament, which conference do you think had the best showing in your opinion? Wow. Um, Wow. Um, I'm I'm feeling like, and I I want to feel like a homer, but I'm feeling like, you know, I'm feeling like the Big Ten lived up to its billing because theoretically down the stretch they could have had three teams in the final four. They all came to play the, 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 uh, in, and I would say, you know, Wisconsin's kind of been up and down, but they've been strong all year. Michigan State, everybody knew once they got healthy, but the Michigan run, you know, because of my, you know, my theory would, you know, you can't play for the outside in, but they, but having, you know, I think Robinson, 
dedicating and helping out on the glass and stepping up in games, I think was making a difference along with some of these other players. But, you know, I think the Big Ten had a had a, a, a real good showing. When you think about they easily could have had uh, multiple teams in the final four with seconds left. Um, you know, Michigan, you know, basically a three-pointer uh, shot away from, you know, uh, you know, going to overtime and having a chance. So I, I think the Big Ten showed, you know, really well in this tournament. Yeah, the Big Ten, I give a close second to the SEC. Um, you know, Tennessee popping up and kind of poking their head in the mix. Um, you know, Florida, Kentucky kind of stepping up. You know, these are teams that in the in the SEC, during the SEC regular season, really weren't on anyone's radar after a while. Yes. You know, the, uh, the um, Wildcats struggled. Um throughout the season and kind of fell off of everybody's radar as far as a contender um, to be to make it this far, to advance this far. Um, you know, Tennessee, again, they had to play in. They had to play themselves into the tournament. Um, so, I mean, you talk about those teams in the SEC yeah. that really put themselves in the mix. Um, yeah. I, go, I, I go with the SEC having a really good showing. Another conference that I thought had a really good showing was the Pac-12 or the Pac-16 yeah. or whatever it is. Um, uh, Stanford, UCLA, Arizona, all making it to the Sweet 16 from that conference. Um, you know, solid showing for for them as well. Um, so, I, you know, there were some conferences that that raised their profile. Um, it'll be interesting to see what you make, uh, how UConn, and what UConn does going forward as far as parlaying this Final Four appearance to either um, help build the AAC or get themselves out of the AAC. Because um, I, don't, I just don't, I don't know how that conference is going gonna, is gonna to shape up as a basketball conference. Um, and I think as a program, that, that conference may in the long run hurt um, UConn's profile as a national power a little bit because they just they don't compete against anybody um, in their conference very often. Now, basketball is different than football. You can still be, Wichita State proved that, you can still come from a uh, – a non-power conference, and, and still um, have a high profile during the season. But, you know, I, I, it's, it's UConn, and it is a high-profile program. And so there are going to be folks that throw offers their way as far as joining conferences. Um, you know, given the football program, they may be a hot free agent as far as uh, the athletic department at UConn may be a hot free agent for some of the conferences that are out there when you're talking about an Atlantic Coast Conference or a who's expanding east, um, you know, with the uh, with the ACC uh, trying to move their conference tournament to uh, New York, you know, that's that's basically you know Husky Central right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, Michigan State, Michigan State got a taste of that, you know. Yes. Yeah. They, 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 you hitting it right on the head because they, I think their brand is so strong, and I think yeah. they might. Uh, they might uh, they might schedule enough out of conference games and, and be in tournaments where they can can do it. But you're right, I think over time. But I think they just have such a strong brand. I mean, you know, if you think about the success of UConn over the past 15 years, um, it, it just has such a strong brand. And, and this tournament is just the run is an indication that the brand is strong. And that Kevin Ali had the ability. Everybody knows he's a great recruiter. 
You know, he can coach. He's been trained by some of the best coaches in the game. And if he can start another run uh, for that program, they, they, they might be the difference of a team that can actually be in that kind of conference and still have a tough brand just because they can schedule some out-of-conference stuff that's going to keep them there, and they can win those games. Kind of like the new UNLV, but they ain't UNLV. They come with the Big East thing, but they kind of become that UNLV in a way that they always going to have that big out-of-conference game. They got that – they just got something about them that's always going to keep them in the you know, UNLV without the investigations, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they might be able to do that, but you, you're right. It seemed like they – they're not placed very well, but I think their brand is just so strong, it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah, that, that, that's the one thing, you know, I see with that crew. So having it, having the tournament, um, the Final Four set, uh, let's, let's play it, let's pick it out right now. Um, UConn and Florida, who you got winning? Man, I, I think it's going to be UConn because I think, you know, um, I think oh, they can match oh, the wow. intensity. Okay. Uh, and, and I think that at the end of the day, they're going to, to me, you got to stop what, Frazier? Uh, you got to stop their backcourt. But they don't really, I mean, to me, the Florida, they don't have offensive skill players. If you turn the ball over, they make you pay. Like, they go from defense to offense, transition, and score quickly. But if but if UConn does what it does, shoot the free throws, defends, and then they got the playmakers, um, I think it's going to be a surprise upset. I think UConn gets Florida, and they're not scared of them. They beat them already. Okay. All right. I'm going with Florida. Um, you know, UConn does have the cheat code, but Florida has – the Florida style, I think, is, is probably the, the most – uh, unfriendly style for a guard when you go against a team that full court presses for a good chunk of the game. Um, it's going to wear them down, and those big shots in the fourth quarter are going to be a little bit tougher than maybe they have been. Um, it's going to force him to give the ball up a lot earlier in possessions than maybe he'll want to. And given that UConn has been thriving off of his decision-making, um, you know, I think that may that may slow them down just a little bit and just enough. I still think it's going to be a very close game, but I think that may slow him down, slow UConn down just enough for Florida to control the game because their maestro, because he's getting trapped, because he's being picked up full court, maybe will have to be playing, spending a little more time than they would like with the ball not in his hands. Um, and then maybe more fatigued down a stretch from having to go against the press the entire game. So that that that's you know that, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. So I got Florida. Um, on the other side, Kentucky versus Wisconsin. This has been a tough one for me because, admittedly, Kentucky, in my opinion, has the most talent of any team remaining in the conference. But we all know that doesn't mean a whole lot when you're t- in the tournament. We both know that doesn't mean a whole lot as far as the tournament goes. So Kentucky or Wisconsin. Mm. Kentucky has a lot of size, um, in particular the size of their guards. I think it's going to pose problems, but I, I, I'm I'm not going to. I did I've done it once. I'm not going to bet against Bo Ryan on a full week of practice. Um, so I'm I'm going to go with Wisconsin advancing to the national championship game, um, as in Kentucky. Um, who do you got in that game, D. Wills? 
Yeah, I, you know, me, on a, my rule with Bo Ryan, you give him a week of practice, you're in trouble. This is where Cinderella's slipper gets broken. Uh, and I think <laughs> at some point the 18-year-olds are going to play 18. This is a game. I think they're savvy vets. I think Frank is going to cause problems. Because they got bigs, but he's been controlling the paint, and he's savvy. Uh, and I think he can cause some problems. I think this is where the injuries might hurt him. Um, and they've seen what they did against Michigan. I mean, Michigan didn't have anybody inside to battle their bigs. I think Wisconsin's team defensive concept is going to in Bo on a week. If this was a turnaround game, it would be much different. But I think Bo, with a week of practice, is going to be ready for this, and they go to the national championship against UConn. Here's the one thing that I think holds Wisconsin back a little bit. Um, it's the one thing that always gives me pause with jump shooting teams in the tournament. Is the tournament is always played in these big cavernous stadiums, and it just mm-hmm. messes up messes with your depth perception sometimes. They try to put up curtains and things like that to kind of close off the court a little bit. That's the one thing is wooded sight lines. That's a little small detail. Yeah. that for yeah. a, a jump-shooting team that could cause a little bit of a problem during the tournament. But otherwise, I'm, I'm, I think Wisconsin is going to take that game. So I got Florida-Wisconsin. Um, in, this particular, in this particular matchup, this is another tough one, man. I'm giving you this on the fly. I haven't really, I haven't really broke this one down. <laughs> um, I don't either one of us. Jeez. I, 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 I think I'm going to go Florida. I don't know why. <laughs> I, 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 I got a feeling. Wisconsin National Championship, the national champion, Wisconsin Badgers, just doesn't sound good. <laughs> it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it just, it just don't quite come off the tongue right. So I, 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 I have a hard time going there with that one. Um, national champion, Florida Gators, I've said before, I don't know. I, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm going Florida, though. <laughs> what do you got, D-Wills? Man, this is awkward. And it's a moment where I watched Bo do his his his, uh, his, um, his post-game con- uh, press conference. And, you know, my, my brother said, boy, he reminds you of the Joker. He just, that's what he looked like. And he, he said, and bo got that look in, him, uh, in his eye. And this team is weird. I mean, it is not playing like offensively is not playing. And Trayvon Jackson is someone that when he's turned the ball over, he's he's hurt them. But when he's been in control, he's been doing his, his best rendition of Mark Jackson all. And it's, this has been an awkward year. But if you think about it, they started out number two in the country, one of the hottest teams in the country. And so – Maybe number one for a little bit, right? So um, I'm going to go with it. It's, 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 it's one of those those weird years, Fisu. You know, people know where I'm at, but I, for some reason, it's as awkward. It's going to roll off our lips next Tuesday night in an awkward way. You Both of you and I are going to put each other to me like we didn't imagine it. Like this is a team we didn't imagine winning it, but they're going to win it. Like there are other teams that you thought would win it, right, and they didn't. But this mm-hmm. is a team – I think may end up doing it, and we don't, we're not going to know why. And that's just how we yeah. our lives go, right? Our lives go like this. I figure this is something that you and I are going to be on the air next week, silent for like ten minutes, trying to figure out how to explain what we just saw. I just got a feeling. 
So I think with time, yeah. we don't want it. I, I, we, and we're we not going to know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I are going to look at each other. We're going we to think about how. We're not going to know why. We're just going to know they've done it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take us about three yeah. weeks to figure it out. Hey, I'm telling you. So those are our, those are the RNG Final Four predictions. He's got Wisconsin as his champion. I got Florida facing off against Wisconsin as mine. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll check back in with you next week once the dust settles. You know, real sports guys. RSG signing off. Peace. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.